Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. We have Dr Caroline Flay on the line who teaches human rights, theory and philosophy and also refugee rights at Curtin University. Welcome to the program, Caroline. Thanks, Beth. The whole issue of human rights can be quite challenging. So what inspired you to specialise in this particular field? I've been involved with various human rights campaigns and organisations for a long time. I'm originally with Amnesty International as a pretty active volunteer. So yeah, I, I guess I just got involved in various community groups, the human rights focus, and I went back to further studies and thought about perhaps teaching in it as well because I was feeling fairly strongly about it. So yeah, I've been an academic for about eight years now and teach human rights masters at the master's level uh, and also have a PhD program at the Centre for Human Rights Education at Curtin University in Perth. So there's the opportunity there of course to not only teach but to do research around human rights issues and a particular concern, long-term concern of mine and others at the centre is how asylum seekers and refugees are treated, particularly um, how they're treated in Australia by our government. I've got a fairly heavy involvement in all of that too. You've jointly provided a submission to the Australian Human Rights Commission National Inquiry into Children in Immigration Detention. Now, could you tell us a bit about that submission? Well, we wrote the submission. Associate Professor Marianne Kenny, who's our director of the centre, she certainly took the lead on that and has a, a great knowledge around how asylum seekers are treated. Particularly for this submission, we spoke about Sri Lankan asylum seekers and, and young people and children um, and how they're treated when they first come across someone from Australia or, or where they're first taken. And they're given uh, an initial interview often, which is part of what we what is called the enhanced screening procedure which is very worrying because it's not a proper assessment of any of their refugee claims and a very uh, quick decision is made about whether they should be returned to Sri Lanka or not and a lot of people have been returned on the basis of a very quick interview so people are not given the proper uh, advice that they should be entitled to receive from a migration agent to help them with that process and we have great concerns uh, about what circumstances await them when they go back to Sri Lanka. So that, was, that formed the basis of the submission that we wrote uh, and obviously with raising you know, very important issues around children and young people who are pretty vulnerable indeed. Children who are experiencing their childhood in detention must be suffering severe psychological trauma. Could you tell us uh, about the effect that it has on these children growing up in detention? Well, it's well documented and there's, a, there's quite a, a growing body of research as well and calls from health professionals to say that the, the harm that indefinite detention creates for children and I have to say for adults as well it's not just children but of course children have a particular vulnerability especially uh, children who have come on their own but it's well documented that to be in a situation where you don't know if you're going to get out of your essentially imprisonment it plays a terrible mental toll and it's also this terrible 
period of not only being locked up and to lose that freedom that you have when you're locked up, but to also not know what's going to happen to you because they're all in a situation of uncertainty about whether, you know, whether their refugee claim will be accepted. If they're in an offshore location like Nauru or Manus Island, they have no idea where they're going to be accepted if they are found to be refugees and and it looks like now they're not going to be accepted by Australia. They're going to be accepted potentially by Nauru, potentially by Cambodia um, and, and Papua New Guinea. And so there's a great sense of... Uh, and, and this kicks in after a few months of, of living in this situation professionals have often observed. Uh, people will start to have great mental anguish and self-harming is um, pretty prolific in these sorts of environments as well. What's the difference between onshore and offshore processing? Onshore processing is just simply where processing of someone's refugee claim is done for someone while they remain in Australia or an Australian territory. And offshore processing is where people who have arrived to Australian territory not been allowed to remain here, but they have been literally shipped off to Nauru or Manus Island where their refugee claim is to be processed there under their laws. Now, the great problem with that is that if someone comes to Australia, we've signed the UN Refugee Convention, which means that we have an obligation to assess someone's claim. We also know that over the past decade and more that most, by far and away, the vast majority of people who've arrived here by boat have been found to be refugees. This means people face a real fear of persecution should they go back to their own countries. So these people have literally nowhere to go and so we have an obligation to assess people's claims here and accept them here. People don't need to be detained while this process is continuing. The process often takes far too long and so people should be left allowed to live in the community and to be able to wait to, to have the right to work uh, and be able to get on as best as they can with their lives while their refugee claim is processed and it's much healthier for them. It's much cheaper for the host country, which is us. It's also something that is consistent with our human rights obligations according to all of these international treaties that we've signed. The United Nations have a universal declaration on human rights. Has this affected the way Australians treat refugees and asylum seekers? Well, the Universal Declaration was adopted back in 1948, which, yes, we've, we agreed to and, and most other countries have agreed to. Um, but what followed, which was more important, and it took several decades for this really to happen, uh, was the introduction of binding treaties. Now, what that means is that states can then sign up to treaties that articulate in more detail the rights included in the declaration. So by signing an international treaty, what countries like Australia are saying is that we agree with those human rights, we agree that they are universal, we agree that everyone in our territory has those rights and that we should promote and protect those rights for those people. That includes refugees and asylum seekers who come to our country. So what that means is that we have an obligation under international law to make sure our laws and our policies are consistent with it. Now, along with a lot of other countries, we don't always do that, and we certainly don't do that in relation to refugees. Our refugee policies and legislation are not in the spirit of the UN Refugee Convention, nor in some of the other binding conventions either. Now, the problem with international law 
the problem with that is it's very difficult to enforce because it's not like domestic law where there's, you know, we have a police force, we have a judiciary. There is some level of judiciary, but it's hard to enforce international law. And, of course, a lot of other countries are, are, are really grappling uh, with issues around asylum seekers. And, indeed, a lot of other countries have far more asylum seekers than we will ever have. And so other countries recognise that, you know, this, this is a difficult area and difficult to try to meet all, all of the needs people who come here but again as I said we, we receive relatively few asylum seekers by boat when you compare countries in Europe for example but also uh, what you'll find is it's the neighbouring countries to where conflicts are occurring that really get the vast majority of asylum seekers so places like Iran and Pakistan you know between them there's about five million refugees in those places so to think that we can't cope with the relatively few that we have is really, it, it's really quite striking. It, it is, when you put the figures like that. Now, you mentioned before, too, about refugees and asylum seekers being released into the community, but what sort of struggles do they have after they've been in long-term detention? Well, it is, it is quite difficult. My colleague, Lisa Hartley, and I have done a couple of uh, research papers on this, actually. We've done some research with people who've been in long-term detention and what was their experiences when they got out. We did a, a, a first project on this a couple of years ago when people who were allowed to remain in Australia, this is before off-shell processing that started to happen a few years ago, people were held in detention centres in Australia and some of them were in there for 18 months to two years, which is an incredibly long time. We were regular visitors to some of the detention centres in Western Australia and we could see the impacts on people over a long period of time. When they were finally released from detention and allowed to live in the community, we worked with them to document their experiences, to, you know, to share with others. And what they found was incredibly important when they got out of long-term detention was being given the right to work. And those who were given the right to work and who were also able to find employment because support is needed to help people to find work, those people were doing much better psychologically much better at being able to try and get on with their life and of course resolution over their refugee claim was very important so uh, those who were found to be refugees were given permanent visas had the security of knowing that they were able to stay on a permanent basis. Now we, we repeated this research Last year we interviewed 29 people throughout Australia who had been released from detention. Most of them hadn't been in detention for anywhere near the long periods that the previous group had because policies had shifted. People were trying to, the government was trying to get people out of detention um, on, a, on a quicker basis. But this group have not been allowed the right to work. So there's about 24,000 people throughout Australia who are still waiting for their refugee claim to be processed and not allowed to work and they're supposed to survive on to about $230 a week, so it's, which is 89% of the Centrelink payment. So it's incredibly difficult, you know, to get by on that much money. But what we found was the psychological impact of not having the right to work was such a huge stress for people. So they've got all this time sitting in the community, worrying about everything else, worrying about what's going to happen to them, what's going to happen to their families who are you know, often in, still in precarious, in some circumstances, dangerous situations. So it's a, it's a, it's a terrible stress 
on those people and some of the people who had experienced torture in their own countries likened this to mental torture or a continuation of their persecution. So that's very worrying and, uh, and, and none of their refugee claims have been finalised yet and for some of them it's now been two years living in the community in this situation. It's a pretty dire situation. I did hear too that uh, they didn't have access to learn English either. No, they don't. The, the only English classes they have had access to are things that community groups um, have been able to pull together, which are often short term or for short periods of time. So it's not, a, yeah, it's not adequate. So that's very isolating. If they want to do any studies at TAFE or at a university, they have to pay full fees, which you know is usually sort of international student fee rates, which is very expensive. So it's it's re- it's forcing people to be unemployed. It's actually uh, de-skilling people because they're not using the skills that they had that they came to Australia with that Australia could well benefit from creating a huge amount of psychological concerns for them it's a, it's a huge worry for them it's all, they're also denied access to migration agent advice so when their claims do begin to start being processed the, the sector will have to rely on volunteers to help them pretty much pretty awful situation look is there anything that people can do such as write letters or speak to their local mp i think it's really important that if people are concerned about this that they tell their mp about it and any other mp about it i think members of parliament uh, should know the impact that all of these policies are having on people who've come here uh, who are looking for our look, looking for protection from us as as under international law as they have every right to do. So I think, yes, we need to tell our politicians that their their policies don't reflect the sort of Australia that we want to live in. No, they're certainly just not acceptable, are they? Uh, Especially, I'd say, by 3CR listeners, which is a really good thing. So it's nice to know that, you know, there is something that people can do. So uh, I think you can even organise to meet up with your local MP, can't you, to discuss Absolutely. the situation? Yeah, That's right. Yeah, your local MP, you're supposed to be able to, you know, make a meeting and your MP is supposed to meet with you. So, yes, I think it's really important for people to do that. It's certainly something our centre tries to do, tries to, you know, help inform our members of parliament who don't always know, you know, a lot of them don't perhaps uh, have, may have never met someone who's lived that experience. So I think it's important that they hear from those of us that do and also to go along with friends who might have lived the experience as well. Mm, That's right. Well, thank you very much for coming on to Radical Philosophy. Thanks for having me, Beth.